Blog Talk Radio. And it's blast off time <laughs> for uh, Dr. Charlie Cartwright and me, Dr. Deb Carlin, here on Freedom Friday. <laughs> and what's our desire, Charlie? To free your minds and hearts. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the one reason to do that is so that you can soar in this life and make it you know, spectacular, however you define it. Not not how anybody else looks at it. Not what anybody else's role model for it is, but what you and your heart and your mind really want. Right, out there? Absolutely. Yeah. So what's your heart's desire, sir? You know, I want to really make life a bit easier for people, as many people as possible. And there's so many ways to, to do that. And so that's what, you know, my desire is on a daily basis. To make life a bit easier for people. That might be a, a bit of knowledge. It might be a bit of laughter. Mm-hmm. might be a bit of wisdom or some good direction. But that's, 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 that's my desire. I love that. And you know what? It, when you said that, it is so simple. The, the, the work that we do can get really intense. And it, you know, it can, it can, you know, be kind of, you got, it takes courage to do the kind of work that we do because you got to walk in and deal with people and do all these things. <laughs> but really, I think, I think that is a really good tagline. You know, I'm just here to make your life simpler. Yeah. You know? It, it's interesting because for the last, wow, I think it's been three weeks now, there's a quote that keeps coming back, coming back. Coming back to me. And it's a Dr. Seuss quote. They said, sometimes the problems are complex and the solutions are simple. I'm writing it down. It's huge. I mean, that guy was so far ahead of his time. Yeah. And uh, he was so much more than children's books, which isn't awesome, but the things that he taught. But that piece of wisdom has really been sticking with me and keeps coming back forward because you think about uh, just the sheer scope of that statement and how we have all of these complex social issues that could be resolved with a good dose of kindness. Ah. Right? Yes. I mean, it just, when you take, when you're kind, it just takes the edge off of people. And of course, we know that uh, there are people on extreme ends of behavior. I'm not talking about the extremes. Yeah. I'm talking about the 95% of people that fit into this particular space, that if they're treated with kindness and respect, now things can, can really flow. Now we can have conversations. Now we can collaborate. Okay. Now we can cooperate. And so that's, that's, those are my thoughts. I love that. You know, I never believed in the normal bell curve, you know, and it, it really is. It's the shape of a bell and it's like, okay, everybody in the middle, you're the norm, you're the normal. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I do not want to live there. You know. And then out here are the extremes on one end and out here are the extremes on the other end. And I'm thinking, you know, I think I kind of like that middle part there. <laughs> for a whole lot of things. Now, in terms of creativity and all that, I, I absolutely want to be 
way out there, you know, creative and be, be a thought leader with coming up with ideas <coughs> that are new and innovative. But I'll tell you what, this is called Autumn Dust. So I love these. I, I should try to get them as one of our sponsors. Hi. This is Dr. Deb Carlin here on The K-Factor. And one of the kindest things that we can do is introduce you to Icebreaker Mint. I like cool mint. How about you, Charlie? <laughs> well, here's, a, here's a bit of wisdom, and it's so funny yeah. uh, that whenever I think about it, I laugh. It's usually when you're out in public or you're out with some friends or whatnot. If someone offers you a breath mint, yeah. you should always you should always accept. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason. Yeah, <laughs> I'm carrying these with me all the time. Yeah. I actually, when I was about 18, this guy who I had the biggest crush on finally understood that it would be a really cool thing if we went out. And I say finally, it was like maybe a week, you know. Life was easier and simpler then. So he comes to pick me up. I greeted him at the door, and I thought, oh, dear God. This guy, I mean, I, I, can't, even, I can't even see him here at the door with him. Now I was 18, <clears throat> and I said, I am so sorry. I just don't feel well. <laughs> I thought, if I get in a car with him, I'll die. If he tries to kiss me, it'll kill me. I mean, this is too horrible. It's too sickening. I came to recognize years later that what it is, it was extreme garlic. But, man, I mean, it was like it was reeking through every pore in his body. It's coming through his mouth. I think it's coming through his eyeballs. So, yeah, I've been carrying breath mints for decades. <laughs> It is. It's just one of those things. I think it happens to us all at some point. I remember one time a guy had, I was in a meeting, he was sitting in the back. Yeah. And he's like, hey, uh, hey, would you like a, you know, would you like a, you know, would you like a couple of minutes? I'm like, no, I'm good. He's like, yes, you do, buddy. Oh, no. He's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And by the I way, felt so, 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 so bad because oh, you yeah. know, there's a formal event. I'm in my suit and tie the whole thing, and you got these breath mints. You know, so something happened in my morning routine. Something, something got distracted and uh, missed a step there. So, uh, a two. And uh, so, yeah. <laughs> if only. You know, I'm thinking to myself, all the situations, you and I could probably spend half the show talking about all the situations where the reality is that you're dealing with somebody's stinking breath, right? But just imagine if we could pretend in other situations, like let's say in the political debates, how about if one candidate was getting agitated at the other candidate or vice versa, and one candidate said, would you like a mint? Excuse me, moderator. Can we pause just for a mint? Of course, now, you know, there'd be a ruckus. Are those mints safe? You know, they, what, are you trying to give me cyanide over here? 
yeah, the paranoia would be full blown, but what if everything, I, I love the way that you as a guy, I mean, it's really, it's really inspiring for me when a guy, a macho man says, how about a little touch of kindness? Because, you know, believe it or not, I know that this will be hard to believe. I get accused every now and then of being, you know, a soft, girly, and a little frivolous. And it's like, yeah, so what's your problem? <laughs> you know, it's still credible stuff. Tell me who wrote more love songs and poetry and, and wrote more uh, love stories that became plays and movies than the male species. Yeah, it's it's amazing, and it it seems counterintuitive that, but it's true that you know a lot of times people have all of this these uh, armaments, right? Literally, you know, packing a gun and all these different things, and you know, putting on this tough guy persona mm-hmm. when really they're they're weak. Right. No. And so, Tender. And so they're so they got all these things to hide the fact that they're really not strong and they're really not secure in their manhood and, and all these things. And uh, so it's so interesting. I remember when I was studying martial arts and my my sensei was talking about this. And when we were going through training, he was explaining to me how when you understand how to take care of yourself and handle yourself, you're much more likely to get, less likely to get into a conflict, a physical confrontation, because you know that that you can take care of yourself, and so you're not going to respond to defend yourself until you absolutely have to. Right. Right. So you can diffuse a lot of situations where if you're unsure of your of your ability to defend yourself, then you're more likely to respond quickly and violently than someone that 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 is very comfortable in their own skin. So, you know, Brene Brown talks about this, that the strongest people are the ones that are open to vulnerability. And that's mm-hmm. real courage, right? Those things. And I look at, you know, one of my one of my heroes late in life. You know, I need to add him to my board of directors, as a matter of fact. I've got this board of directors of people from the past or some some are still alive, but many aren't. And so whenever I you know, have a challenge, you know, I'll consult with the board, you know. And, I and, love that idea. Yeah, I'm to with, notes with you today. And so, uh, so Mr. Rogers. Oh, yeah. Mr. Rogers was the man. I mean, this guy, the issues he tackled, oh, yeah. in the environment in which he tackled them, in the way that he tackled them was just amazing. And, uh, you know, I mean, if there's a Hall of Fame for, for great human beings, you know, he should be the, one of the first faces that you see when you walk in the, into the, the place. And so yeah. I just love learning from the things that he did. And, you know, that was his, you know, his three rules of ultimate, ultimate success. Do you know what those three rules he said? The three rules to ultimate success, to yeah, achieve no, ultimate success. Go ahead. So number one, rule number one, be kind. Mm-hmm. Rule number two, be kind. <laughs> rule number three, be kind. Love that. I mean that it's huge. So it uh, it's something that I really strive to to 
to choose on a daily basis. And it's like a muscle. You've got to work on it to get better and better at it and, and their levels and things like that. But as I've gotten older and wiser, I've become kinder. So. You know, it really is bothersome to me when I feel like I'm out of sorts. I've been doing a lot of work with um, a, a device. Uh, I've talked a little bit about the heart math. Mm-hmm. And heart math is amazing. So it's a it's a beautiful science based on things that I'm so familiar with in terms of psychophysiology and uh, brain chemistry, cardiovascular um, systems, and biofeedback. And having run biofeedback and doing psychometrics for ever. Heart math really speaks to me, and, and it's been around for a long time. I mean, this is nothing new. But the beauty of it is that you get this little cord that is a sensor that you put on your ear, on your earlobe, and it plugs into the bottom of your phone, whether it's a droid or an iPhone. And it's a biofeedback program so that you can see your heart wave and you can see your um, your breathing And you are really getting the feedback about being in synchrony between brain and heart. So when I'm over at our medical practice, I bring patients in and sit and and say to them, how'd you like to really feel completely you? (laughs) Oh, yeah, how can we do that? You got a magic trick? Kind of. And And it works amazingly well amazingly well it's beautiful and you can get certified to be one of their practitioners now this company is global and they're tiny and they've only they've only had about 90 employees but they got into a real pickle here in the last few months because guess who lives right in the middle of those four million acres of fire oh wow so I know the people there, right? Because I, I've been working with them and they're darling people. And I called them and I said, how are you? And, the, and you know, this gal who's the president says to me, oh, we're okay. You know, we've all been evacuated from our homes and we don't know if we can get back to them. But, you know, we have friends that we're staying with who live on the periphery. And, and the fires came through our town but stopped at the perimeter of the block that we have our offices and warehouse at. Now, let me tell you how that happens. If anybody thinks that energy and positive intention and kindness aren't tangible, you know, there's real tangible results. I mean, a smile is tangibly observable, but the, the outcomes that it produces are amazing. So, I had all these orders in and, you know, from like a month and a half ago, and now they're just starting to be able to fulfill them. And, and, and so I, I've, I've kept in touch with them saying, look, let me into your meetings. When you all get together, let me into your meetings virtually. And I will tell you how incredible you are. And they just, you know, kind of laugh and I haven't really pushed it because I don't want to push my way but the the heart math that I do I when I do it daily and the the idea is that you do it twice a day you start off by doing it just five minutes each time and then you work up to maybe 15 or so um the clarity that you get 
the reassurance, the, the affirmation of you is so crisp and clear. It's beautiful. And then there's another device that I use called the Healy. And the Healy is um, a really incredible frequency machine. And, you know, I, that's one of the things when you and I are talking with each other, you know, offline, I really want to share with you because um, it really, it, it, it is really amazing when you sit, you know, if, if you're sitting with a Tibetan monk and you're going through the treatments that a high priest can put you through, they will do the sound ball stuff, you know, so yeah. that it's kind of like on the rim of the glass. I remember at dinners sometimes, you know, kids would do that and it's like this cool sound, you know, and then we yeah. put music across the table. But um, the frequencies that you create each have a different impact on another part of your anatomy and physiology. And it's beautiful, and it's a science. And the science of it is amazing and technical and um, beautiful stuff, beautiful stuff, and it's great healing. So... In the midst of the kindness, the reason I bring those two things up right now is because um, I feel this edge in me. You know, like I was walking out of a store the other day and this man was very, very angry with me because I will only wear that mask over my lips. I am, and I don't breathe through my mouth when I got that mask on when I'm in a store. I breathe through my nose. And I am not, I refuse, I refuse. I out flat right refuse to breathe in my own carbon dioxide. I'm not doing it. It's not healthy. So I'm very discreet. I keep my lips tucked in under the mask, but I'm, I won't pull it up over my nose. And and I've had people bark at me about it. And most of the time I have fun with people and I'll, I'll either ignore them. I'm like, that doesn't work very well. Or I'll pretend I don't speak English. I think I told you that last week, didn't I? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> no, pull your mask up. How did I walk? jeez. All right. So I I I I look at that and I just I get an edge about me that is unkind. Because what I want to do is say something snotty, you know, because I'm boiling up. It just gets me boiling. So I was walking out of actually one of my favorite stores the other day and a man is barking at me. And, you know, people are often cowardly with how they do it. He's walking in and I'm walking out. And the chances of my walking back in are really slim. And so he barks at me. Hey, you idiot. I live in a beautiful neighborhood. Hey, you idiot. That's so ignorant. You should learn to obey the law. So I stopped. I turned around. I came back. And I said, it's not a law. Nobody passed a law. It's not the law. It's an ordinance. It's a request. It's not the law. And by the way, I am a doctor, and I'm here to tell you, it's not good for your health. And I was so snotty about it. I'll tell you what, Charlie, I walked outside. I got in my car. I almost started to cry. Because I just, I did not love myself for that edge. Now, did I speak the truth? Yes. Yes. There was no lie in any of that. But man, I came I, I came home and did a little heart math. I mean, I was like, <laughs> I need to get synchrony between my mind and my heart because 
I, you know, what am I going to do? Go outdoors and yell at everybody? All the people riding their bicycles by themselves with a mask on? What are they doing? Talk about a lack of freedom. That's the thing. That's the theme of our show is Freedom Fridays. It's freedom across every day of the week, every minute of your life. And if you if you think that you're getting your freedom by wearing these masks, you're not. It's the opposite. Now, if you're coughing and hacking, stay home. Because if you're coughing and hacking and you're breathing in what you've coughed and hacked, that's really unhealthy. Did I tell you, another friend of ours uh, labeled it the face diaper. Yeah. Yeah, it's the strangest thing. It's the strangest thing. It is. And the people who are wearing the plexiglass shields, I'd like to see what that looks like by the end of the day, let alone the end of the week. On the inside. Let's put that under a microscope. Yeah. Yeah, we both know that that would be uh, it would be unpleasantly surprised at what they've been harboring yeah. inches from their respiratory system. Yes. Yeah. But you know what? This is going to magically evaporate after the elections. Yeah, I don't. I don't doubt that. I did months ago, but now I really don't. And. Um, so we'll see what happens here in this next uh, 30 to 60 days. But I, but I, my suspicion is that you're correct in that, oh, get your vaccine, and dang, the numbers are fantastic. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I've really been surprised about in our medical system, which, by the way, is the most expensive. You know, we're talking about modern industrialized nations that were the most expensive and the least effective. Like, how can you, you can't, you couldn't stay in business like that. You're the most, (laughs) you're the most expensive psychologist and you're the least effective, you'd be out of business. That's right. So that's our medical industry. Now, the, you know, the interesting thing about it to me is we have all this technology. All these hospitals are sophisticated with all the coding and all these things. But somehow or another, you know, if you, if you go and, and, and look at the data on COVID, you can find all this data, all this, these, these repositories. But if you look for flu, it's these vague numbers. Yeah. It's vague, soft. Uh, how many people died in in 2019, as a flu, oh, you know, 30 to 50,000 could be more, could be. I mean, like, I it just it baffles me that there's not a number. If you look, if you go to the Department of Transportation and find out how many people died on the highways, you can get a number. Yep. Very specific. Right. Well, you know, roughly, you know, so many thousand people died of motor vehicle accidents. No, you know, I can tell you right now that that it's about 100 people a day on the highway, you know, give or take one or two, yeah. right in it. Average is right around 100. And then workplace injuries, people dying as a result of their work, that's right around 14 a day, very close to that number. It's very specific. But flu, eh, we don't know. And then 
looking at COVID or well, we know that the coding has been less than consistent. So we really don't know that number either. So, you know, these other industries can figure things out where the transportation, health and safety, but, you know, OSHA, Department of Transportation, they can figure numbers out. But then we get to the medical side, oh, and oh, by the way, we have the highest educated people in the world in the medical, but we can't figure that out. That doesn't that doesn't add up. Here's the problem with with uh, medicine. Corruption. <laughs> oh, I mean, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Just because you're a mind reader, Charlie. <laughs> um, yeah, it really is corrupt because once upon a time, there was a a little a little community. Anonymity was never an issue because everybody knew one another. I wrote a book a long time ago. I really need to research it. Anonymity is the enemy. Because the anonymity is the ultimate enemy. To not know yourself, to not know others, to not know who's across the table from you, to not know who's in your family and really know them, to not know your community. We don't know our community anymore. And, and so that local doctor who would come to your house, somebody would go, you know, get the doctor and he'd, get in his horse and buggy and come to you. <clears throat> there was no such thing as insurance and there were really no hospitals and, and there were, uh, you know, there was no invoice. You would, you would settle it up next time you were in town. And if you didn't have money, you had credit and, or you were the farmer, he was in, in town and you brought him food, which was, you know, great. That's awesome. Well, you know, you can say a lot of things about sterilization and cleaner conditions and all that. One of the biggest things we have to fight in the hospitals right now is making sure people don't get septic. It's the most disgusting, unhealthy place that you can possibly be. Hang out there. You'll get sick. <clears throat> the um, As soon as, and now everybody fights over insurance, health insurance. Oh, I got to have good coverage. I got to have good coverage. All I want is my health savings account and stay out of my business because I'm not going into the hospital. The hospital is a place where a lot of variables are interacting and you better go in there with a medical advocate. And by the way, now you can't. So you go in there, there's no witnesses for anything that is being done to you or not being done to you. As soon as we got insurance companies involved, and forgive me, insurance industry, because a lot of you have been my clients, and I love working with you for the betterment of people, but as soon as insurance companies started bringing in the accountants to dictate what the treatments ought to be and the course of treatments ought to be, this is why I never went to be a clinical PhD uh, clinician psychologist working on insurance panels. So that they could pay me. No. You mean so that after all the years of training, you would tell me how many times it would take me to take care of somebody and what it is that I should do and what I should get paid? I didn't come through all this to be an employee. You know, I will create the pathways. So the healers, the real healers, the real doctors have evaporated in a lot of ways. And there's physicians who have, and, and I go through this every time I get a call to be a medical advocate and I've got people in the hospital, I try to get them out of there as quickly as possible because 
the physicians who are there are there to tell you what the policies are. And they're there to come in and tell you what procedures need to be done because they're very concerned about meeting the quotas. It, it sounds heartless, and it is. But that is the way it is. And excuse me, the hospitals have no legal right to tell patients, you must come in here alone. You cannot have any anyone who you care about, no family member, no no one can be here with you. They don't have the legal right to do that. But guess what? We've already scared the bejeez out of everybody, at least in America. And so people aren't saying, excuse me, I'm coming in. You're not keeping me away. And people are asking permission. You should come in with an attorney and say, you do what you need to do. We're doing what we need to do. And, and you know, I insist that my patients have got a Zoom camera on all the time. On themselves and who's ever coming in that room, they need to announce who they are. We need to w- watch the procedures. And you don't have to tell them that you've got a Zoom camera on. You just quietly keep it on the table in front of you. But you need witnesses. And all these, all these elders who have been put into these senior care facilities, retirement homes, rehab facilities, assisted living facilities, and then they're held hostage there and not allowed to see their loved ones, and many of them have died there or gotten sick and been transferred to a hospital and died without their loved ones, that is absolutely heartless. I don't care what anybody says to argue that point. That is the ultimate of your freedom being ripped away from you. So it's interesting. I have an aunt and uncle that I need to call, and they're in a nursing home in my town. Maybe 12 minutes from where I live, and haven't been able to. They just opened it up last month that you could see them. But it's outdoors, and it's 15 minutes. And my thinking is that, you know, it takes more than 15 minutes to get them ready to come outdoors, number one. And then we're going to be 15 minutes out there, and then they're gonna, it's going to be another to get them back settled again. I, you know, that's traumatic for them. Yeah, who comes up with these random... Yes, and there's a list of all these things, and then we have to... You can't hug them. You got to be over. I mean, it's just we are uh, we are allowing politicians. We are allowing we are allowing the politic to dictate humanity and human encounter. We are we we allowed physicians to be captured by the hospitals. We allowed physicians to be captured and mandated to by by insurance companies with accountants and attorneys that are doing risk management and profit margins. And excuse me, the person has to come first. I don't care how it sounds. I don't care how human-centric it sounds. You know, now we have corporations talking about, oh, we have a new idea. We're going to be people-centric. Yeah, that's a brand-new line of thinking. You know, and and by the way, some of the most ruthless uh, corporations I know are are touting that that is their, their, their mojo. And I'm saying, yeah, well, quit pretending. No, it's not. But, but here's the thing that's so tragic about this is it extends all the way down to infants, newborns being masked at birth when they're put into the hospital nursery. Yes. 
Yes. Didn't know that. Yeah, video footage. Yes. So, excuse me. Really, as their lungs are still developing and they're laying there and they're all in there, you know, they're all crying because they want to be with their mommy. I don't know what they're taking them away from mommy for anyway. That was the worst idea. And then everybody goes and they feel like a showcase, you know. Oh, look at that one. Oh, look at that one. I'll take that one. I'll take three with chocolate and three with sprinkles, you know. It's like a donut shop. <clears throat> the um, the crime in that is is multiplied by the fact that the nurses then come in, and in the critical times of development, when eye to eye, face to face, is the origins of learning nonverbal behavior. You are starting out life stunting growth for a politic. Yeah, this is these these little things. They seem small, but they add up, and then. We're going to see the ramifications over the years. And uh, when the research, because we don't have any research now on wearing these masks for extended periods of time, when the research comes out, it will not be favorable. I can guarantee you that. Absolutely. But uh, it's, it's amazing. There's just so many things that we get. We just really have to, to be, you know, part of freedom is, um, is gathering knowledge, right? Yeah. You, you know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So it was interesting when I was at our first, first boy. I have one boy. And so at my oldest daughter was born, and then a couple of years later, my son is on the way. So How long did it, it take him to get there? Three months, anyway. So, um... So anyway, I, at the time I was reading men's, I was reading Men's Health magazine, and on the cover was a, and again, this is the only way I came across it. On the cover, there's an article about about um, you know male children being born, and uh, you know the whole thing with uh, removing their foreskin, right? Yeah, circumcision. Circumcision, and so. I didn't know anything about it. So I read this article, right? And then I bring it home and I show it to my wife. Yeah. We then had a conversation with the physician and said, hey, we're the only country, the only modern country that regularly circumcises their male children. And there's research here that says that that with all of the cleanliness and things we have, it's not necessary. And oh, by the way, you know, it's it's traumatic, extremely traumatic to the child, right? And then you're you are robbing them of of about what three hundred feet of nerves, nerve endings that are designed for one thing. Right. Pleasure. Right. And taking them away. Right. And so the article was saying there's like a doctor's association, a nurse's association that advocate for you know, bringing an end to this procedure. And it said if men really need this, they just go in the hospitals. But men haven't gone in the hospitals because they don't know. And I remember I was depressed for like two <laughs> weeks. I was like, what? You mean it could be better? Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's missing. It's going, oh, well, there's no difference. It's like, dude, don't tell me there's no difference. You're missing a football field full of nerve endings. Yeah, that's there's right. a difference. Well, you know? And so that's an example of, you know, in our country, 
Taking freedom away. Yeah, not understanding, not being educated about these things, you know. And so, anyhow, and I remember my son's got a keepsake box, or my kids have a keepsake box. That article is in the box. Well, it's like, yeah. But then when he asked me about it, when he came of age and asked me about it, I explained it to him. I gave him the article. He's like. (laughs) Thanks, Dad. <laughs> well, listen to this. When I was teaching at the university, um, teaching womb to tomb lifespan development. Ooh, I've never heard that 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 term before. Yeah. Womb to tomb. Yeah, like is that. it great? So, the when we're talking about infancy, I said, okay, so. I would, I would, I would bring in all kinds of props. I'd bring in my friends with, you know, different things, and I brought in a, a classmate of mine from graduate school with her, um, her baby, her infant, and um, her. I think he was three at the time, uh, so a little baby, just like maybe four months old, still easily cradleable, and um, cradleable, not cradleable. <laughs> a crate. Um, so I had like 250 kids in the class. So I'm standing on the stage and uh, I'm a floater when I, when I'm teaching, I, I don't like to stand on the stage, but in this case, you know, you kind of have to at least spend a percentage of the time up there. So I said, um, so I have, you know, I have to ask you a question. Now, all these students, they came to this particular university because they were pre-med. They were all going to be physicians. That's the drive. Go to, go to school, become a physician, you know, and, and then marry a lawyer. So, you know, it's a doctor, lawyer, family, the American dream. Okay. I, mean, I And then I was also an advisor. So every student who came in, I'd say, okay, well, that's great that you want to be a physician. What's your backup plan if you don't get into medical school? <gasps> what do you mean? <laughs> okay, let's look at the math. Here's how many apply. Here's how many get in, you know. So they very much were invested in the medical model and I knew it. So I would use it to teach them critical thinking skills. So I'm holding this baby and I said, well, so let's talk about a couple of things in terms of human development. Um, Do you believe, raise your hand if you believe that babies can feel pain. It's about, you know, like they're not really sure. So I said, well, you know, the American Pediatric Society said, up until whatever year, that they don't. They don't feel pain. I mean, come on, they're just little blobs of flesh and not even bones yet, really. It's all kind of mushy cartilage in there, you know. I mean, we could probably bend a leg here. Should I bend this leg? And they're like, oh, my gosh, Dr. Carlin, what are you doing? Just testing you. So we have a few laughs about it, but then I say, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I don't, I, because I really don't, I really don't know if babies really feel pain or not. I'm on the fence about it. So I'm just going to, and I walk over to the side of the stage and I hold the baby out over the cliff of it, right? And it's about a three foot drop. And I said, now, I don't think it'll kill the baby because, you know, they're pretty bouncy. Uh, but I'm going to drop it to see if it feels any pain. Does anybody have a problem with that? I mean, they were screaming at me. (laughs) I said, okay. And I'm standing up there laughing. Now, my friend is looking at me like, I do know, like, love, and trust you, but 
you're freaking me out. <laughs> so I stopped. I held the baby and I said, look, sometimes to make a point, you have to be very visual and get people's visceral responses. Raise your hands now if you believe that babies feel pain. A hundred percent of the class is going, yes, yes, please don't hurt the baby. Dr. Carlin, please don't hurt the baby. I said, okay, I would never hurt a baby. But let me ask you a question. Have you all ever heard of circumcision? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, of course. And I said, do you ever notice how guys want to protect their private parts? Oh, yeah, yeah. Why do you think that is? Well, because they're exposed. Okay, well, that's the obvious reason. But do you know that when a baby is circumcised, there is no anesthesia at all? It's just you do it. They were they were horrified. And they said, anybody in here Jewish? You know, a bunch of hands go up. They said, you ever been to a bris? So you could witness it? Oh, my God. And I said, look, we have a double standard. And what this is about is, is this is a lot about taking your freedoms away. And it is. One of the things I remember reading in the article is the baby's strapped down. Yes. Arms and legs. Yep, that's right. Strap down. Okay. And so that happens in what, the first 24 hours of life? So, yeah. Home <laughs> birthing just, looks really good. Exactly. It's just ridiculous. And these are the things that occur when we're not aware and educated the way that we should be. Well, women used to actually deliver in a squatting position. And, you know, you'd, you'd, you know, you might be out in the field and you're delivering your baby. But, but gravity is working with you. It was King Louis whatever who decided he wanted to watch. Hoist her up and lay her back. Agonizing. Horrible for your back. You got no gravity to work with. So now we've got some birthing chairs. So, you know, you're sort of lifted up. And then there's also what they do in France, which is, you know, the uh, birthing in the water. So Mm. you really, you know, you're seated and propped up and you're wearing a T-shirt and you're delivering your baby in the water, which is really natural. People say, well, doesn't the baby drown? Well, the baby, has the baby been drowning in utero? I mean, they're floating in there. (laughs) But, you know, there's things that we do that really people don't think about it. But when you think about the oppression and the repression of masses of people, because leaders have been trying to figure out how to control the masses, it's a very important topic for people to study. You know, just if if Charlie and I sound outrageous today, Google – the origins of oppression, the leadership of oppression, um, the, 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 psycho, the social psychology of stealing freedom. You know, when Charlie and I are out here and we're talking about, as, as Charlie and Deb, as Dr. Cartwright and Dr. Carlin, as Dr. Charlie and Dr. Deb, on all those fronts, we are talking about at a time in our culture, in a time in our world when our, our freedoms are so threatened and we're living it. 
and and we want every one of you to be thinking critically about your freedoms and the broad dimensions of them and what can you do in your mind and then in your behaviors to recapture your freedom of yourself and then your freedom in our society. It's so essential. Yeah, it's what our you know, our country's founded on and I mean that's why we, we broke away, right? We yeah. formed this union, uh, because of those those freedoms and, and and how sacred they are, you know, to our to our very nature. So and we shouldn't give them up. And we but we have to understand that and and really do our homework, right? I mean there's we have time available. We gotta do our homework. We really do. So in the last 10 minutes that we've got, I think we should find the ways in which we um, can encourage people and, and, and uplift everyone because, you know, we have so much fun on our show and, and today's been really fun and we've gotten into a very real and, and heavy spot and, and there's absolutely everything right about that. Um, but I want to I want to continually you know swing that emotional pendulum with people, and and get everybody thinking, and get everybody really looking at where we're at and what do you do and you know what can I do daily what can I do for the for the vote the presidential vote and what can I do for the for the country right now what can I do for my life for my family so what do you think Dr Charlie Cartwright. Well, that's a great question. So I think we can all own our space. Yeah, I like that. Own your space, right? Own your space, you know, own your mind, own own your, your, your thoughts and, you know, own your opportunity to really go out and understand and find out things and, and say, hey, you know, I can't control what someone's doing across the street or in another state or anything like that. So I can control my space. I can't own my space. And if we all own our space, then I think that, that's huge because, I mean, you see these things on television or on the Internet, and you see people at the extreme ends of behavior. But that's not us, you know, as a, as a nation. We're a very great nation and great people, and there's great people all over uh, this nation that, that – and have their hearts in the right places and spaces and I want them to do the right thing. So we just have to own our space and then, you know, come together in the spirit of cooperation and everything will work out that way. You know, it has for hundreds of years and it'll continue if we, we, we do that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, um, it's, it's, it, it can be really simple too. I'll tell you a couple of things that I do to own my own space. I take a bath. I mean, I do I do my techniques that I told you about with the devices that I've got. But, well, I'll tell you what. I draw a hot bath, and I put some kind of Epsom salt in there and a nice oil, and I lay back, and I just absolutely own it. And everything just floats. First of all, with the the warmth, your heart rate slows down, your vascular system dilates, you're getting a nice amount of blood into your brain, you're thinking more clearly, 
and all your muscles are relaxing. And if you're if you're in a magnesium bath with you know Epsom salts with magnesium in it, which you can get at any pharmacy, Walgreens, CBS, you know, even little private pharmacies, just lay back and give yourself a half hour to just be, do nothing. Don't have your phone in there. I take my glasses off. A couple times I got in, I've got to take my glasses off <laughs> and wash my face. Oh, <laughs> why do things look so funny? <laughs> and it's the aromas and aromatherapy. And um, I was, I love essential oils. And doTERRA's got a beautiful line of essential oils. And you can use them for all kinds of things. You know, the diffuser and sit in front of it and breathe in and have it be lovely for yourself. And then um, the whole reality of even putting them on the inside of your mask. There's formulas that you can put on the inside so you're not being poisoned by yourself for the brief times that you put it on. Um, And then, you know... Owning my own space by going to my little grocery across the street, getting my groceries, bringing them home, and eating well and comfortably and enjoying it and relaxing and sitting back on my furniture and just gazing out the window, listening to music that I absolutely adore, and drinking water, drinking uh, beautiful teas that are going to be healing for me. I've really gone back to all my origins. It's awesome. It's awesome, and we have to discover those things that you know get centered and settled. And for me, it's reading or music or just con- contemplation and and like you said, just getting your getting your yourself centered and and really um, setting yourself up to to own your own space. Right. So, you know, what I'm doing with with patients in hospitals um, is really trying to capture them and they allow it. You know, I, I the way that I'm talking to them, you know, much of the way that I'm, my voice right now is lower volume, you know, lower octave and, and, and slowly paced. I put people into an absolute deep meditative hypnotic state where they're in a different brain wave where they can really relax. And I watch people in pain go from a squished up face <clears throat> that is the ultimate look of pain and agony, right? To within three to five minutes that relaxes, uh, mouth cracks open, jaws released eyes are closed, their breathing starts to regulate, and they they are free, free from pain. And it all starts in our mind. And we get so, I, I just only in this last year heard the term wrapped around the axle. We get so wrapped around the axle, we don't know how to get out of there. And we need to, we need to do it. We need to have our food be our medicine. We need to be our beverage, be our hydrator, and we need to clean the outside of our body and the inside of our body, and then allow love and kindness, right? And all that gentility and softness. 
and people love it, but Charlie, people hide it. Yeah. I think people hide it because our society has, through influence, pushed the fact that that's, that that's weakness. Mm-hmm. And it's not. It's true strength. It is true strength. It's strength. Yeah, it is true strength. You know, uh, you know the Missouri Venture Forum. You've been a guest on there and a speaker. And one of the events that uh, I did before the shutdown of virtual, you know, live events, <clears throat> and we won't do any more this 2020. I don't know what will happen in 2021. Our event space actually closed. But when I was doing the live event, people were coming in and saying, oh, my God, it's beautiful. It's There's, there's you know, this ambiance is lovely and beautiful. Yes. I'm your president. I'm your host. It's my job to make you feel welcome, just like this is my home. This is the organization's receiving platform. And, you know, there was live music playing with a guy that I know, Tony Viviano, and he's singing. He's carooning love songs and Christmas carols. It was in December. And it was beautiful, and it was lovely, and people had fun, and there were treats for them on the table. And and I had Santa there. And Santa gave everybody presents. I mean, it was just sweet, and it wasn't expensive. I mean, a present was like three candy canes with a ribbon around it or a little thing of chocolates or something. But, you know, there were two guys who walked out and walked up to the registration table and called it names and said about me, oh, she's at it again with that silly stuff she does. Now, we had a great speaker that day. There was a lot to learn. It was great content. But that gentility, now these are two guys who I know have been massively hurt in their life. They think they're walking around macho and tough, but what they're showing is how hurt they've been. How disappointed. Isn't that sad? It's, um, it is, and it's just one of these things that, especially men in our society, have been fed this message for so long that, you know, kindness, gentleness, warmth, approachability has been talked out of us, has been <clears throat> moved, been moved away from it. But as I've grown, I know that moving towards that is the is the right way to proceed for the for the best outcome. And you know, there's nothing wrong with with having that side that 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 you may need to call upon someday. And uh, but hopefully you never will. I remember there's a quote, and I'm not sure who who this quote's attributed to. But it was a conversation between this the student, the karate student and the master. And the karate student asked the master, says, Hey, you're always telling me to be peaceful, but you you teach me how to fight. How do you how how does this go together? And the response was really great. Said, you know, it's better to be a warrior in a garden than to be a gardener in a war. <laughs> and so I like being a warrior in a garden. Yeah, I like that too. And that's 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 where the kindness and gentleness is. All right, Charlie, great place to end our session today. Our show. Our session. 
mutual therapeutics for each other. Yeah. I will see you tomorrow. And for right. today, blessings. I'll send you an email with our link. Thank you for today. It's lovely as ever. Namaste. Namaste. This is your host, Dr. Deb Carlin, and her beautiful co-host, Dr. Charlie Cartwright. <laughs>